now uh, very near the end of our series entitled Gleanings from the Book of Genesis. Uh, we want to, uh, uh, we will be studying it this week and then uh, uh, I anticipate finishing it next Sunday. And so this morning though, uh, we want to turn to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We'll read two sections in the chapter. Uh, we'll skip the portion on Joseph's uh, temptation as we uh, looked at that last week. But once again, in Genesis chapter 39, in verse 1, we read, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him uh, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And so he was purchased. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, that is Potiphar. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under Joseph's authority. And so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and did not know uh, what he had except for the bread that he ate. And then now down into verse 20. <clears throat> then Joseph's master, uh, uh, Potiphar, uh, following the accusation of, of rape by, the, by his wife, took Joseph and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were uh, confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were uh, in the prison uh, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this Bible. We thank you for your Word. We thank you that it's a living Word, an immensely practical book, and uh, and uh, never more so as we see it, uh, your truths brought forth through uh, your servants, your men and women throughout the Scriptures. And we pray that uh, this great truth that we're going to examine here this morning through the life of Joseph, that you would speak into our individual lives concerning it and that you would uh, bring clarity where there is confusion and, uh, and that you would bless us with the biblical perspective we need concerning this very important part of the Christian life. And we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit in each one of our lives this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. We remember the uh, promises that were given to Joseph by God, uh, in the form of dreams. And uh, we are told in chapter 37 of Genesis where Joseph declared the dreams to his brothers and then also to his brothers and to his father. 
Uh, the first dream was to his brothers, and he said, please hear this dream, uh, which I have dreamed. There we, uh, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and uh, also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And then in Genesis 37 verse 9, uh, it, we are told as he declared his dream then to the, his father and his brothers as well, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Now, the implications of the dream and uh, what those dreams meant, uh, they weren't lost on uh, Joseph's audience at all, his brothers or his father. And uh, his brothers declared to him about his dream concerning them, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his uh, words. And then... Uh, in chapter 37, verses 10 and 11, uh, even his father rebuked him concerning the second dream and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him as a result, but his father kept the matter in mind. And the means uh, by which these promises uh, would ultimately be fulfilled in Joseph's life would be even uh, more astonishing, uh, more uh, mind-breaking than he could have ever, ever imagined. Uh, these uh, dreams and these promises would come to pass when his brothers and his father ultimately would bow down to him as the second most powerful man, second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt, uh, and, uh, and Egypt being the greatest power in that part of the world at that time, and, uh, and at a time in which Egypt uh, would become the breadbasket to uh, a world that would be consumed, the entire Middle Eastern world consumed uh, by uh, a devastating famine. But all that happens, these things, they all happen in chapters 41 and following. And here at the start of uh, chapter 39, Joseph is 17 years old, and he is fully 13 years away from the fulfillment uh, of these promises that God had given to him in the form of these dreams, and, uh, and uh, far, far, far away at 17 years old, from possessing the maturity, possessing the character and uh, the life experience that would be needed to be able to properly uh, handle that kind of authority and that kind of responsibility. And so began in Joseph's life a 13-year period of preparation by God. So that one day when he achieved that position, the position that God knew he would ultimately achieve, that he would possess the gifting, he would possess the godly character and the spiritual maturity to be successful in God's call upon his life. And this morning I want to examine this subject of God's work of preparation in our lives as Christians from the vantage point of Joseph's life. And then equally important, 
uh, from this same passage uh, the uh, keys that we learn from his life in terms of how to maintain perspective uh, during seasons of preparation in our lives. I want to begin with the necessity of uh, preparation uh, for any success in life. Of course, we live in a culture that absolutely undervalues uh, preparation. Uh, if for no other reason than that it takes time, and we live in a very, very uh, 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 frantic, a very, very hurried and impatient culture. And what we want in life, we want it uh, right now. And uh, we notice how long uh, the traffic light remains red uh, long after the vehicles going in the other direction have ceased coming through, and uh, there we are left waiting. And, if it, and God forbid that it's longer than five seconds in uh, some of our lives. Every trip to the store that involves uh, standing uh, related to a checkout stand becomes a contest. And trying to identify which of the four or five that is opened is, uh, has the shortest line. And, uh, and over who can get in and pay and get out faster than everybody else that's hitting those lines at the same time that we are. And isn't it interesting as we look at our own lives that instantaneous assessment that happens. I mean within a second or two. And the ability that we have to determine not only uh, which line is the shortest, but then to look in the basket of each person and to uh, discern what is the amount and how long is that going to take, and then look at the age or the physical condition of the person that's doing the card and how slow will they be and will they be paying by check or a debit card. And all of these things are instantly uh, going through our, uh, our minds as we're making a decision as to what line to get into. And then, uh, at the other side of these, uh, our greatest calculations, we get into a line that we determine is going to be the fastest, and then we will spend the rest of the time in line uh, watching how quickly the other lines are moving through, and was it the right choice? And so, all that time that we spend waiting in life uh, is considered a waste of time. One of the problems we also face uh, is that we are not a forward-looking culture uh, any longer. Our mindset is consumed uh, with the right now. Uh, our political policies do not take into mind what will be the implication of that policy in 10 years, in 25 years, in 50 years, in 100 uh, years from now. And so they're made solely on the basis of uh, the current election cycle, and there's virtually no thought, no dialogue given to the impact that these policies will have upon the long-term health uh, of the nation. And the same thing is true of our monetary policies, virtually zero thought given to what's the best thing to do in the long run? What will be the impact of these monetary uh, policies? No nation accumulates $25 trillion in debt that is taking into consideration the long-term 
uh, effect of uh, that debt. It's an indication that uh, these are, this is not, not only not what is present in our culture in terms of considerations, but it is even modeled for us uh, by the highest officials within, uh, within our country. Instead, everything is what's the easiest thing to do right now, what has to be done in, all, in order to hold on to uh, uh, current political uh, power and how to win the next election. But one of the things a, a Christian needs to understand uh, about the Lord, and especially if you're a Christian like us in the Western world, and, uh, and, th- and that is to realize that God not only is not uh, anything like the impatience of our culture, but that he is not impatient at all, that God is not in a hurry at all in his work uh, in our lives. And the reason that he isn't is because there are some things in life that are more important than speed. Uh, There are things in life that cannot be hurried. They can't be accomplished in a day or a week or even in a year uh, in our life. There are things in life that take time to be accomplished, and things that require preparation. And those things include godly character, uh, Christian maturity, uh, in developing a long and deep personal relationship in history uh, with the Lord. And when God works in each of our lives today, and He does work in the present tense of our lives, right this moment He's working, the present tense of our lives. But he, as he works in that present tense, he is doing two things at once. First, he will be diligent and faithful to keep every single promise uh, 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 of his promises to us concerning what we will face today. And then because he also knows our future, he will also work to develop our character for what he knows is coming in our future, the character that he knows that we will need to possess when that future uh, comes. And if we don't understand this about God, if we only view our lives the way that the culture does, uh, or the way that our culture teaches us to, and we only focus uh, on our lives in terms of the present tense. That's all that we take into any consideration related uh, to our lives. And even our relationship with God. Then we're, we can become very frustrated with what God is doing in our lives. And what God is allowing uh, in our lives. And we ask ourselves questions like, why is this happening uh, to me? Uh, This doesn't make any sense uh, to me. Uh, I don't need this right now uh, in my life. And we speak all of these things very authoritatively, as if we know uh, better than God what we need uh, in our lives. But one day we will desperately need the character that our circumstances are producing in us today. The problem is, is that presently, we don't see those circumstances yet. But God does. God sees them. 
And so he works from a perspective that we do not possess, from a knowledge, from a wisdom that we do not possess. And, uh, and thus, he is very, very faithful about developing the godly character in our lives today, ahead of time, in order that we will be able to successfully handle what he knows is coming in the future. And uh, no human parent, of course, is being successful in their role as a parent uh, unless in addition to keeping the child uh, fed and clothed in the present tense, uh, they are not also preparing them for adult life in the world that we're living in. If they don't also uh, deal with them in the present tense with the future in mind, and developing in them the character and the skills that any parent knows their child is one day going to need when they enter into uh, adult life in order to successfully navigate it, lest their child one day then find themselves in adult life completely unprepared and uh, doomed to become a casualty uh, of the world. And so preparation is serious business and uh, God takes it very, very seriously. Of course, everywhere that you look in life, you see the need for preparation, uh, the need for training in order to be uh, successful. And then beyond that, uh, the greater thing that a person is called to accomplish in life, then the greater the uh, training and the greater the preparation that is required. I think of any professional athlete, of any sport you want to choose to examine, and behind the success of every one of them is the, these, this long, uh, years-long, hours-long period of preparation to then be able to excel on that stage. Uh, I think about the soldier here, Memorial Weekend, and without training, without preparation, they will absolutely become a casualty on the field of battle. I think of the medical doctor or the surgeon and all the years of preparation that is required in his or her life in order for them to begin their practice. Imagine what damage a surgeon would inflict uh, upon everyone who came under their care if there had not been long years of training and preparation for uh, their ultimate uh, position. And the same thing is true of a carpenter. The same thing is true of an auto mechanic. The same thing is true of a musician. There's a world of difference uh, between uh, playing an air guitar in front of a mirror in junior high and actually being able to play the electric guitar uh, and make money in the band that you're in. Uh, there's a world of difference between uh, Millie Vanilli and uh, Stevie Wonder. And, uh, and so it is in every area of life. Everywhere you see, uh, everywhere in life you see skill. To say nothing of excellence then preparation is required. And the same thing is true of God's work. And of course we see it here in Joseph's life, but we see it everywhere in the Bible. 
Uh, you see it in the life of Moses, where he's called ultimately to deliver the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. But all of that required 40 years of preparation before he uh, landed and entered into that stage and that, that stage in human history. And 40 years of leading somebody else's sheep around in the wilderness in preparation for 40 years of leading God's sheep uh, in the wilderness from Egypt to uh, Canaan. Of course, we can't help but think of uh, David, anointed as the next king of Israel, as a, a lad, as a, as a, 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 a young teen. And uh, he's anointed to be the next king of Israel to follow King Saul, and yet long years of hardship would precede his becoming king, ultimately at the age of 30. And God did that so that when David became king, he would possess the godly character, not only to handle the responsibility, but to handle the responsibility in a way that he could be an influence for God. We think, of course, about the Apostle Paul. Ten long years. We don't think about it that often. The ten long years of preparation that elapsed between the time of his conversion and then him ultimately uh, entering into the formal start of his uh, calling as an apostle. Each of the twelve apostles themselves, uh, uh, they required years of preparation, three and a half years uh, of preparation uh, by the greatest teacher and discipler of all, Jesus uh, himself. And each of them were called, each of them were anointed, but each of them uh, in need of God's preparation uh, for that, that calling. And during the time of preparation in each of their lives, uh, as these, all of these examples in Scripture, uh, at times, it looked as if uh, life was unfair. It looked as if life was working against them, as if God had uh, forgotten them, as if God was failing to keep His promises uh, to them. And yet in each case, time would reveal that God's preparation in their life was absolutely perfect for them and, uh, and uh, exactly what, what they, uh, they needed, that nothing was being uh, wasted. And what was true of each of them concerning God's plan for their lives is also true concerning us. And again, God is always working in our lives today, not only with today in mind, but also to prepare us and our character for what He knows is coming our way in the future. And that preparation can be very, very hard and very, very demanding uh, at times. But always remember, there is something harder than God's seasons of preparation in our lives. And that would be to ultimately find ourselves in that future ceiling, uh, season, in the ultimate place of calling of God in our lives, and to find ourselves in that place one day completely unprepared for it. And God loves us too much to allow that to happen. 
And of course, in this vein of preparation, in the mystery uh, of His incarnation, we have to think of Jesus, even Jesus uh, Himself, where we're told in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 39, and so when they had performed all things according to the law uh, of the Lord, that is Joseph and Mary, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, Nazareth, and the child, speaking of Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Later in that same uh, chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Uh, there's an old saying that is uh, sometimes spoken to pastors at a pastor's conference where uh, pastors, we can be as, in, as impatient as anyone else in seasons of preparation. And one of the things that we can be told to uh, bring perspective to our lives and our impatience is the observation that Jesus spent 30 years in preparation uh, for a ministry of three and a half years. And today we want to spend three and a half years in preparation for 30 uh, years of, of ministry and speaking even to the cultural impatience that uh, can come into, uh, into the church and carry, can carry over into Christian service as well. I want us to notice the forms uh, that this work of preparation uh, can take in our lives from uh, the life of Joseph here. And, and number one, as, as we see in Joseph, uh, these seasons of preparation are almost always very difficult, uh, almost always very, very demanding. They will stretch us in, a, in, in ways that uh, that w w beyond what we think that we can uh, endure and certainly stretch us in ways that we would never choose uh, to be stretched ourselves. It brings to mind the uh, famous quote of C.S. Lewis, pain insists uh, upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, uh, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. And God takes us into very difficult places because He's able to teach us things there that we could never be taught in, in leisure. I quoted it, a poet earlier in this series in, in, through Genesis, but it bears repeating here. And he wrote, I walked a mile with pleasure. Uh, she chattered all the way. She left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said, said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. These seasons are difficult, but we learn things in difficulty that we will not learn uh, in other circumstances. And then Joseph II uh, was hated by his brothers and sold into slavery uh, by them. And here we have the preparation that so often occurs uh, in our lives as a result of a difficult childhood. Uh, and uh, here he is, he's one of the patriarchs, uh, uh, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the beloved son 
uh, of, of Jacob. And yet, uh, that family was a rough family. And Joseph grew up in a really a rough, hateful, violent, uh, envy-driven, uh, dysfunctional family uh, in, in, uh, in seasons of, of that family's history. You put yourself in Joseph's shoes and imagine uh, what he must have had to try and process emotionally and process mentally as a result of the rejection of his brothers without a tear, without any anguish, without any concern at all, uh, happily uh, uh, selling him uh, and, and watching him be shackled by the Midianite traders and, and taken off into Egypt. Well, that can be a pretty tough uh, childhood in a lot of ways, but it would certainly toughen you up and force you to grow up quick uh, to survive, and it would force you to develop character at a young age that you might not uh, develop uh, any other way. Joseph was then sold into slavery to uh, Potiphar into Egypt. So imagine the humiliation of this. Uh, in, a, in an hour, he goes from being the favored son of his father to now standing in a slave market uh, somewhere in Egypt. And uh, there he is. He stands uh, nearly naked, if not naked altogether. And he's like an animal there in that, that slave market. And he's poked and he's prodded and he's asked questions and his, uh, and, and his teeth are checked and, and he's eyed and he's assessed in the same way that, that you might assess a horse or you might assess a, a used car. Uh, how many miles does it still uh, have on it? What's the greatest... Uh, a value I can get out of this by spending the least amount of monies. Uh, how many miles does it already have upon it? Does, it uh, does this slave have highway miles on it or city miles on it? Is he uh, young? Is he old? What previous uh, repairs has he had? What previous major damage has been inflicted upon uh, his, his body? And you, and, and you think about that, that in the providence of God, Joseph was sold into uh, slavery. And how far he was now from the dreams that his, uh, uh, his brothers would one day bow down uh, to him and that they would one day submit to his authority and, and his father as well. And, and how far he is now from the emotion, from the excitement that he experienced when he received those dreams and then spoke them to his brothers and to his uh, fathers. Utterly inconceivable in his mind at this point that those promises looked at, at having uh, any possibility uh, of coming to pass within his life. But I'll tell you, and it's in that place that he learned how to be a slave. And in Egypt, he learned how to be a servant. And he learned how authority works in life. And he learned all, uh, all of these things that he would one day 
carry over into his own service of God as the second most powerful man uh, in Egypt about how and what it means to be a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And then third, we notice in terms of the form that these, these kind of preparations can take, Joseph was falsely accused uh, of rape by Potiphar's wife. And you just have to stop and think about that. It's, a, it's an account that we're familiar with. So it's like, okay, that's the section where he gets accused uh, of, uh, of, uh, of falsely accused of, of raping Potiphar's uh, wife. But when, when we put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, I mean, uh, the, the slander, I mean, the, the, a, a, an accusation like that puts any slander or any lies or, and, and false accusations that most of us will ever face uh, in life into uh, perspective and in, in terms of attempts to destroy our name and our, our reputation to the whole world. The accusation made against Joseph was not that he stole a basket of apples from a marketplace somewhere, but he has been accused of sexual assault which carried uh, no less low of a stigma in the ancient world and in Egypt than it does uh, today. And there's no quicker way, both then and now, to destroy any man's reputation than to paint him uh, as a rapist or as a sexual uh, predator. And this is uh, not a story, again, uh, this is an account. This happened to him, and this was what was done to his reputation as a part of his preparation. And he had no power at all to defend his reputation in the middle of those circumstances. And with all of that, of course, the fulfillment of those dreams must have uh, drifted from inconceivable to uh, absurd in his mind. But it was in that place that he learned how to stand alone uh, with God in life. And everyone that is going to serve the Lord has to learn to stand alone uh, with God in life and to know what it is to be faced with the fickleness of human beings and, and uh, to come to a place where, yes, the considerations of what people have to say are taken into account, but the false accusations that are uh, brought against you or brought against him or any person that come to come to a place where none of that means anything ultimately. It's enough for Joseph to know that he is right with God, whatever else anyone else is thinking of him, that God, who cannot be fooled by the lies of, of other peoples, uh, knows of his innocence, and to know that uh, how God viewed him and esteemed him. And that's a valuable preparation in life. And so to live to please God supremely in life. And then, of course, there's the imprisonment that occurs here. And initially, as he's put in this imprisonment following the rape accusation, ultimately he rises to become the manager of the prison. 
And so often we think that was his portion from uh, the moment he was introduced into that uh, place and all the way to the end that somehow uh, Potiphar said uh, to the keeper of the prison, listen, I think he's been falsely accused. I put a good word in for him. He's a pretty sharp guy. And if you want to turn things over him, you won't regret it. That's not how he got introduced into this prison. We're told in Psalm 105 verse 18 concerning Joseph, they hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid, uh, and he uh, was laid in irons. He was shackled in the uh, very core of the prison uh, initially upon being uh, imprisoned, and now he's a convicted person and a convicted felon without any hope of parole, without any uh, hope of release. And then with this, the fulfillment of those dreams had to just move into the impossibility category. He might have kicked himself forever uh, believing uh, in them. But as a slave uh, to Potiphar, and overseeing Potiphar's wealth, his wife, uh, his, his home, his fields, and as a slave in the prison, being given control of everything within that prison, running the prison, managing uh, the, the prisoners and the prison, he learned within those microcosms how to manage and organize large numbers of people, uh, a large kind of ecosystem, how to manage wealth, how to manage resources, how to manage land. And as astonishing as, as it could be, it was, it was a perfect uh, uh, preparation uh, for one day overseeing all of the resources of Egypt itself, something that he couldn't uh, have imagined that was coming to him full steam ahead. He knows his brothers are going to bow down to him. He doesn't know about becoming, uh, the becoming second to Pharaoh part of, of God's plan. And yet God's plan is bearing down on him uh, by the day, and the preparation is, is in full swing as well. You think about the fact that any one of these things would tempt to tip a person into a life of bitterness or real anger towards people, rage toward people, maybe even anger toward God, and resentment, a desire for revenge, or to just plunge a person into uh, an ocean of, of self-pity and, and despair. But you put all of those things together. Any one of them would do that. Any one of these circumstances. But you put all five or six of those things together and you load them into a single life as they were loaded into Joseph's uh, life. And each one of them coming sequentially, one right after the other, in a period of 13 years. And imagine uh, the crushing effect that that might have on, on a person, even a child of God. And having addressed the necessity here of preparation and the various forms it can take in our lives, based upon Joseph's life, let me close with uh, some applications concerning uh, keys uh, to maintaining perspective during these kinds of seasons of preparation 
even when those seasons are as intense as what Joseph went through and what it is that we need to focus our eyes on at such times. First, I want us to notice that despite the absolute enormity of what Joseph was facing, God was faithful to leave his fingerprints all over Joseph's life and all over the circumstances surrounding uh, Joseph. And these fingerprints were encouragements to Joseph's faith. They were evidences uh, of, of God's presence, of God's favor, of God's activity still going on in Joseph's life. That phrase, uh, the Lord was with Joseph, is repeated in one form or another uh, fully eight times in chapter 39 alone. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, verse 2. The Lord was with him, verse 3. The Lord caused all that he had to prosper in his hand, verse 3. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph, verse 5. The Lord's blessing was upon what he owned, verse 5. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him, verse 21. The Lord was with him, verse 23. Uh, Whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper, verse 23. And that phrase, the Lord was with him, it carries the idea of God making known to Joseph his presence, of of his protection, his blessing in Joseph's life. And when we find ourselves in seasons of preparation, no matter how difficult the circumstances, we will be able to see that God's favor and his anointing and his blessing is continuing in our lives. Joseph, as the old saying goes, was not protected from the circumstances, but he was protected in the circumstances. And one of the means of his protection was all of the ways that God revealed to Joseph that he was still current and active in his life and still with him. And, he was, and as he was protected in those circumstances and in that way, so were we. And I think that so often in these seasons we can think that God has abandoned us as we look at our circumstances solely, uh, our life solely based upon uh, the circumstances of our life. And we fail to see all of the grace that God is pouring into our lives that is actually overwhelming the circumstances, that He is making serve Him in preparing us for ultimately where He he puts us in, in life. In other words, when we find ourselves in those places of difficulty and we wonder where has God, God gone and we've lost sight of His fingerprints that so often take the form of stopping and realizing and thinking to myself, but wait a minute, this is as hard as life can be, hardest thing I've ever faced in my life. But God's anointing is continuing upon my life. The intimacy of my relationship with God is continuing in my life. He isn't grieved. His Spirit isn't quenched in my life. He's pleased with me. 
And you realize then, as you stop and think about what it is that we're learning in the middle of the circumstance, and we realize we're learning things we could never learn uh, any other way. And the fullness of the Holy Spirit continues upon our lives. We continue to grow spiritually, and uh, our area of Christian service is becoming more influential than ever. It's becoming more fruitful uh, than ever in the lives of other people. And these are all ways that God leaves His fingerprints upon our lives to demonstrate His active presence in our lives even when His preparations can be so uh, difficult. Remember also, in terms of maintaining perspective, that the greatest gifts in life, they're not physical, and they're not material, but they are spiritual. And thus, when God allows these things into our lives in order to uh, deepen us spiritually, we must never view them as punitive. God is actually entrusting a gift to us. He is entrusting wealth to us, wealth as it's viewed from the perspective of heaven uh, into our lives. And then third, there is the importance of walking by faith in God's uh, promises during uh, these kind of seasons. I am personally convinced that Joseph never lost his faith in the dreams that God uh, gave uh, to him. And I know for a fact that he never doubted that those two dreams that were given to him had come uh, from God. Because later when the butler and the baker were cast into the prison with Joseph and they're downcast and each over the dream that they had dreamed the previous night, Joseph responded to them and he said, do not uh, interpretations belong to God? Please tell tell me your dreams. And he had the confidence that God could give dreams and give the interpretation uh, of dreams. He hadn't lost any confidence at all in that area of of his life. And the fulfillment of those dreams that he he, uh, gave in terms of the interpretation to the butler and to the baker Uh, must have been a great encouragement to Joseph that the dreams that God had given him now so long ago would come to pass in his life as well. And then, of course, later, uh, Joseph stands before Pharaoh, and uh, Pharaoh uh, confesses and declares his dreams then uh, to Joseph, these dreams that have, have confused him, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream in chapter 41, and there's no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer uh, of peace. And then the fulfillment of uh, that Uh, that dream and the interpretation of the dream that Joseph gave to Pharaoh would have greatly encouraged Joseph in uh, the fact that his dreams would come to pass. You say, didn't his dreams come to pass when he became the second most powerful man in Egypt? They didn't. They didn't. 
Joseph became the second most powerful man in Egypt, and he's been elevated to that position. But he still knows that somehow that, that promotion is, is the means by which he would be brought back into contact with his brothers and his father, who would then ultimately bow in submission uh, to his uh, authority. And isn't it funny in this regard how often it isn't until the promises or the dreams actually come uh, true that we can find ourselves looking back now through the preparation and seeing how perfect the preparation was, how thankful we are uh, for the preparation and how long God had been preparing us for the fulfillment of His promises. Jesus said concerning the promises of God, heaven and earth will pass away, uh, but, uh, but my words will not pass, uh, by no means pass away. Psalm 119, a great psalm concerning the Word of God, 150, verse 152, concerning your testimony speaking to God, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. I also want to uh, encourage you, uh, and uh, not just the person that's sitting next to you, I want to encourage you personally to walk by faith this morning in God's promises that they will come to pass, no matter how impossible they appear to you uh, at, at this moment. The fourth thing in terms of surviving all of this to me is that Joseph is the picture of the old saying, uh, bloom where it is that you're planted. And uh, because God knows what he's doing. And every environment that Joseph went into, no matter how miserable it was, no matter how unjust it was, he did not allow the environment to change him. He remained uh, the man uh, that he had always been. And he continued to be that godly man in, in each of those environments. He maintained his integrity. He lived faithfully uh, for God. And he served God in each of those environments. And as he did so, he was learning things in each place that he had no idea uh, that he, he was learning and that he would need to know later on. The biggest need in Joseph's life was not money, uh, not even freedom. God knows that Joseph is ultimately going to be put into a place where he's going to have more freedom than anyone in Egypt next to Pharaoh. He's going to have access to money like nobody else except Pharaoh in all of Egypt. God knew that Joseph's greatest need wasn't for money or for freedom, but his great need was for character. And I remember counseling a, a young man years ago, and about 30 years ago to be exact, and he was an ex-con, and uh, he it was a, during a down economy in the United States. He got a job at McDonald's, and he was fortunate to have gotten that, that job. And after he'd been there for a while, he came to me to complain about 
uh, uh, the fact that he wasn't being, making as much money as he thought uh, he was worth. And I tried to explain to him that the true value of this job in his life had nothing to do with money and, and the money that he was making. But what he was, the true value of the job in his life was the character that he was developing as a result of holding the job. And he was learning things that he had never learned before in his life. How to work hard, how to be disciplined, how to be punctual, how to work with other people, how to work with a team, how to submit to authority, how to work as unto the Lord, whatever the position, what, whatever the pay, and, uh, and, and the encouragement to him to take his eyes off of money and look at, at the, the even more valuable thing that the job was producing there. The money was nothing compared to those things. And the same thing is true in God's work. And what we are is what we are when no one else sees us. Uh, everything else in our life is just acting. And the person who believes that they're called in the body of Christ to be an elder or a deacon or a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist or whatever in the kingdom of God, but is unwilling to serve God faithfully in complete obscurity, as, as Joseph does here, to serve God in whatever environment God chooses for us, then there's something wrong with my heart because I'm not a bondservant and, and I'm not willing to serve him wherever it is that he wants to put me. And if that's the case and, and an unwillingness to do that, then such a person should get out of whatever it is that they think that they're going to do for God and endeavor to skip this particular lesson in getting there before you or I do great damage to other people. Again, what we are in private is what we, what we are in the small things is what we will always be when the bigger things are entrusted to us. And Joseph was faithful in the small things. I'll never forget what I heard Pastor Don McClure say at a pastor's conference to pastors many years ago uh, about the pulpit ministry. Uh, and he declared about uh, the, the rest of the calling of a pastor. And he said, we do all of that uh, to get to do this. And the point that he was making is the pulpit ministry, the public side of the, the pastorate and the calling of a pastorate is less than 5% of the entire calling. And if a person doesn't know how to serve God in obscurity and uh, in the mundane aspects of pastoring or whatever it might be, uh, then, none, then such a person will never be successful in any kind of Christian ministry. And I want to close by saying as Christians, we really want to be careful of self-pity or taking on a victim mentality or identity as a Christian because of the hardships that we have faced uh, in life, even before becoming uh, Christians. 
And any of the injustices that Joseph had faced might have been enough to plunge the average person into a life of bitterness, and yet never once did he consider himself a victim or that he was a victim uh, of his circumstances. And I think that most of us can look back on different circumstances in our lives that were very hard, circumstances in our life that have even been tragic, things that we wish could have been different in our life, things in which we were the victims of other people's decisions and victims of their actions, things that we could use to claim a victimhood status in our lives for the rest of our lives. And no one would complain uh, if we did so. But that we can now see as we become Christians and grow as Christians, can look back upon those very things and realize they were all a part of making us the person that we are today and that they were vital in preparing us for God's specific call upon our lives, in producing a compassion in our lives that we would never otherwise possess, an understanding of people uh, in our lives that we would never otherwise uh, possess, uh, in, in possessing a wisdom in life that we would never otherwise uh, possess. And yet now those things are being used by God for His glory in the lives of others. And we really need to be careful in this culture that has exalted uh, uh, victimhood uh, in, in the United States and that so nurtures it uh, and, and that will so readily take us into a place where we view ourselves as victims of everything. Victims related to our, the circumstances of our entire life. Victims for the rest of our lives related to a particular chapter within our lives. And to begin to view ourselves as a unredeemable casualty uh, of what happened here or there in life. Uh, of our race or where we were born or the dysfunction of our families or the opportunities that, or lack of opportunities that were presented to us in life. And there's a sense in which all of those things are true in their own, in their own way. But for the child of God, uh, it is, would be to look at them in an incomplete uh, way, to look at them uh, with an incomplete understanding as a child of God concerning how He works to make those things ultimately serve Him and us in using them to prepare us for His eternal purposes for our lives and to make us into the human beings and the vessels that He wants each and every one of us to uniquely be. And so in our fast-paced instant, I want it now culture, I think about how invaluable these reminders are from the life of Joseph, of the vital importance 
of God's work of preparation in our lives and of how to maintain proper perspective during those seasons. And God's preparation of our lives can be uh, challenging enough, even when we know all of these things. But if I don't realize all of this during seasons of preparation, all I can see is the immediate of it. I don't see it as a preparation, then it can become very confusing, frustrating, and I can begin to despair and even become bitter and angry as a Christian in life. Each and every one of us lives our lives in the present tense, in the now. But while we do, all at once, we are reaping the rewards of God's past work of preparation for what we are facing now, but we are also being prepared for what God knows is coming our way one day. And what a wonderful teacher and counselor and shepherd and heavenly father he is to be able to do this within our lives and only He is able to do that in our lives. If you're listening to me today and you are not yet a Christian, and you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and come under the lordship and the discipleship of this God of the Bible, then you have no such confidences concerning your past or your present or your future. And yet God wants to give that to you. But the main thing isn't just this, but the main thing is that you would be forgiven of your sins and delivered from an eternity of judgment and delivered into the glory of a relationship with God and one day being with that God forever and ever. And all that is required is to turn to God where you are right now and say, God, I believe your assessment of me as a sinner. And I believe that my sin has separated me from you. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he is the Savior and that is the salvation that pleases you. And so I put my trust in him as my Savior and I turn from my sin and I turn from my self-will. I give you my life this morning and I commit now in your grace to, to following you. And when you pray something like that to God and mean it, the Holy Spirit will come into your life and you'll be born again. And God will do this wonderful work that he did in Joseph in your life as well. And ultimately, no Christian will ever regret God's work of preparation in our lives. And if you're in that kind of a season this morning as a Christian, and you have forgotten uh, that vital truth, then I hope this study this morning is helpful to you. Let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for, again, the diversity of your word, all of the things that addresses in our lives, and to even address this area of uh, preparation. And of course we need it. If athletes and surgeons and uh, business leaders need pre preparation. How can we think, Lord, that we are not going to need an even greater preparation 
to be involved in your work, and yet we can think it. And so thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for its clarity. And thank you for what it has spoken into our lives today by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Trinity.